So yeah, so congratulations on winning Young New Zealander Innovator of the Year. It's of the year, right? It's not a... Yeah, Young New Zealand Innovator of the Year. That's Yeah, that's amazing. Um, were you up against many other finalists? Uh, yeah, I think there was six of us. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, what was the what was the um, award ceremony like? It was good. It was in Auckland at the Viaduct Event Centre with beautiful food and got to hear about some other businesses and meet some new people and catch up with some old friends. So it was great. Oh, amazing. Um, you're, you're winning this award and also becoming a finalist for sustainability and renewable energy. Do you think that signaling some kind of shift in the clothing market, I mean, that you're being acknowledged for doing something so radical, you know, that's quite amazing. Yeah, I think there's a shift generally. A lot of businesses are focusing on this now, and fashion is one of those businesses that really needs to clean up its act. Unfortunately, there's still not a lot of businesses making huge improvements to the industry as a whole, and we're just one of them. There are a lot of companies trying to make a difference. And hopefully this is kind of the start of us being able to help change that. Do you have any idea what kind of proportion of clothing businesses and businesses as a whole are making moves to become more ethical and more sustainable? Uh, In fashion or generally? Um, I guess in fashion, but if you know generally as well. Yeah, in fashion there are a number of small businesses and I think increasingly more and more are popping up. But I think still the big players in the industry are just meeting the minimum requirements. So what I often see is our competitors especially saying that they're ethical and they meet the minimum legal requirements, but often the minimum legal requirements are very low benchmark, so I don't think that they're doing enough. What kind of requirements are those? Can you give us some examples? Uh, Sure. So in Bangladesh, the legal wage is US$68 per month, which is roughly 20% of the living wage in that country. So meeting that legal requirement is actually not a very good metric of success or trying to improve conditions in that industry. Do you think that you get a bit of pushback from the competitors in your in the fashion industry? I mean, they're clearly doing things on a very large scale for much more cheaply. Are they worried about you coming in on that market? Uh, I wouldn't say we get pushback from them, but we certainly lose business to them because our product is more expensive. But, I mean, my hope is eventually that everyone will move to paying their workers a better rate and considering the environment and how they're making their product. I was hoping to ask you a bit about the history of Little Yellow Bird. What led you to start asking the questions around sustainable and ethical fashion? Where were you in your life when you decided this was what you wanted to commit to? Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting path. I never expected that I would be doing this. What kind of happened was that I was in the military for about six years and I wore a uniform every day. Uh, In 2014, I left and moved back to Christchurch and got a corporate job and I was excited because I was finally able to buy and decide what kind of clothing I wore and I kind of discovered that there wasn't much available in the ethical organic market, specifically in corporate workwear, and that was where the idea for Little Yellow Bird started. When, When was this? Uh, so the business formed in 2015. So it's really young, actually. Yeah, we're having our third birthday uh, early next year. That's amazing. And to already have so much recognition for the impact that you're making on the marketplace, 
You must be so proud. Yeah, I think it's just a really um, good example of the right time. Like you mentioned before, there are people that are understanding and recognising the importance of being sustainable and ethical in supply chains generally. So we're at a good time to be launching this company. Do you have partners in New Zealand that help you get to where you need in order to do this kind of thing? I mean, if I understand correctly, sourcing organic cottons and doing everything ethically and sustainably, you also try and keep a really low carbon footprint. Um, Is that a really big challenge? So our main focus has always been around ethical uh, labour practices. We don't manufacture in New Zealand. We do manufacture in India. And we've been able to do that through a couple of partners on the ground in India, but more just us going over there and meeting and working with our suppliers. We've definitely had a lot of support and advisors and mentors here in New Zealand, but we don't really have official partners. We have gone through a number of programs, specifically uh, at the University of Canterbury and their entrepreneurship program. We did the Lightning Lab XX Accelerator, and most recently we're now part of the Edmund Hillary Fellowship, which is bringing high-impact investors and entrepreneurs to New Zealand to solve global problems. So we've had a lot of support through those networks, but I wouldn't say any official kind of partners here. Is that quite common, do you think, for startups and for for new businesses to need to go through mentoring and and partnership programs like Lightning Lab and the Edmund Hillary Fellowship? I don't think it's essential, but I think it really helps. Um, Definitely mentoring and having advisors, I think, is critical for any business. And that's probably the number one thing I always say to people, just find people within your network or outside of your network that are passionate about what you're doing and ask for their advice. That's something that I've done from day one and one of the reasons why we've been able to grow at the rate that we have. Can you give us a few examples of the kind of ways that you've been able to, I guess, accelerate the process of starting a business like this? Well, I guess tapping into those networks. So the likes of Lightning Lab or the Edmund Hillary Fellowship got an inbuilt network. And once you're part of those programs, you get access to a lot of incredible minds and access to different markets. So that's probably yeah one of the key things. So then what have been some of the biggest roadblocks or challenges along the way? Uh, for us, probably communication and supply chain. That's really complicated. The cotton supply chain is really intricate, so getting that set up and then being able to rely on it and, you know, working across cultures, our stuff is made in India, is a challenge. Uh, We've definitely learned heaps in the last 12 months and setting up processes to kind of mitigate some of those challenges. Do you have any background in that kind of cross-cultural area or understanding like how did you even come to understand that intricate cotton supply chain I feel like that would be beyond most of us well a couple of things my background in the military was in logistics and I specifically managed supply chains and did also work a little bit in contract relationships so I've got that background from my previous work experience on the cultural side I spent a large proportion of my childhood living overseas so I spent four years living in Russia and another three living in Indonesia. So from a young age, I guess I had an appreciation and understanding of how businesses kind of work in different environments, or at least I saw how they were working. So I think that's probably helped. 
Yeah, I can imagine that would help a lot. How did you end up living in Russia or in Indonesia? Uh, it was my parents' work and I was at school, so I went with them. Were you learning in international schools or did you learn a bit of a bit of Russian and a bit of Indonesian as well? <laughs> I was at international schools, but I did learn a little bit. Um, not so much Bahasa, but I did learn Russian because I was quite young. Great. Oh, that must come in handy every now and again. <laughs> How easy is it to shift a business from buying uh, from whichever factory in India, not necessarily knowing the names of its workers or what goes on in those factories, um, not knowing where the cotton comes from. How easy is it to shift from that model to the model of Little Yellow Bird? Um, I wouldn't say it would be super easy. It would take a lot of research and time and effort, but it's not impossible. Um, And I think it's probably easier to switch than to be starting up a company using those methods because at least once you're established, you've already got a lot more processes in place and bulk purchasing power and all of that kind of thing. Do you think it's something that you see your competitors around you being able to do? Would you challenge them to to give that a go and to make the effort to, as you said before, to clean up fashion? Yeah, I hope they do. I didn't start this business because I really love uniforms. I started this business because I really disagree with the whole system that is the fashion industry and if they all start doing it, then great, because it's not um, about us. It's about changing the industry. Do you think it's quite unique that you actually go to India and meet the people that make your clothes? I've been on your Instagram, and it's amazing the, to actually see the faces of people sitting at sewing machines, and you actually start to realize that real people make the clothes that we see in our stores and on our uniforms. Yeah, I think it is to the extent that we do it. So I was in India in June. I'm going back there again in two weeks' time. So I'm there really regularly, and we also have someone over there permanently. Um, I think a lot of businesses go, but it's more transactional. So one example is that the co-op where we uh, work with, I'm the first person or the first brand to go back more than once. So there are people going, kind of ticking the box and checking, but for us it's about really understanding the problems and trying to work together to create solutions. Those problems, are they coming from companies here or abroad or are they also starting in India? Are there problems that you need to solve that start from the ground there? Uh, Yeah, there's problems all throughout from how the cotton is grown, you know, is it irrigated or is it rain fed, you know, how brands are treating these suppliers. So one thing that I say is that Putting unrealistic timeframes on orders is really stressful for suppliers and that's what causes a lot of the issues in relation to unsafe working conditions and unsafe labour practices. So if you buy from us, we don't buy into that and we don't force our suppliers into providing something a week later. It's a, it's a process and businesses should be able to map out their uniform requirements a couple of months in advance. So that's kind of the model that we work with. So as a broad demand, I guess, on your consumers, you're asking them to accept higher prices, of course, and but also to buy out, or not to buy out of, I guess, but to step out of fast fashion and to expect that they can order one thing and receive it next week. 
Is that quite hard to ask a consumer to change their mindset so dramatically? Yeah, and I guess I should put that in context in that we don't always ask that. We do hold certain items in stock because a lot of product is needed more quickly. But if you're designing a whole new range or needing something really custom, then that's when that time uh, kind of comes into it. But it's yeah, it's, it is important. It's part of, I guess, our educational process around teaching people actually how many steps are involved in all the different stages in the supply chain so that there's a better understanding of the length of time things should take. And from the feedback that you get from your clients, do you think they understand that? Do you think they're going down that educational process with you? Yeah, I think when we sit down and explain it, excuse me, sorry, then they get it. And we're able to articulate that fairly well because we've got a lot of imagery and videos and, I guess, experience now in how that works. And once I sit that down and explained it, then people do buy in and understand where we're coming from. Oh, that's fantastic. I was hoping you could explain a little bit about the standards that you adhere to as part of a wider market, um, the Fair Trade Standards and B Corp. Can you explain a bit about what those are? Yeah, so we're a certified B Corp, which means that we're a for-profit company, but we don't do it at the expense of people or planet. Uh, Some of the different certifications or standards that we work with would be that our cotton is organic, so it's got certified, which is the organic certification, and it's also fair trade certified. And then we work with factories that have uh, fair trade guidelines. Some are fair trade certified, some have SA 8000 certification. There's quite a range of different certifications, but what is consistent is that workers have fair wages, safe working conditions, access to healthcare, education those kind of things. Some of the clients that you have here in Wellington, um, the ones I know about are Wellington Zoo and Massey University, um, were they easy to get on board or is it still very much a negotiation process? I mean, it depends. Each customer is different. Wellington Zoo is one of our flagship customers. They've been great all the way through. They really understood what we were trying to do and our values align so closely that um, I I guess I would explain that it was not a difficult decision for them to want to work with us. Uh, Other companies are different, but the majority of our customers have a lot of ethical values themselves. So while price is always a factor, it's not as much of a factor if we're able to provide everything else. What do you think people should know about the process that you are going through in, in changing the way that fashion and the market can relate to each other? Um, I wish that people knew that it wasn't easy, that what we're doing is difficult and that the only way for us to continue is going to be to support us in terms of buying our products. So what I find is a lot, a lot of companies really love what we're doing and they buy into the mission and everything, but actually getting people to sign on the line and commit to moving their uniforms to sustainable and ethical uniforms is much, much harder. And companies like us won't exist. We won't continue to exist if businesses don't support us. Are there any um, are there any potential kind of big fish clients out there that you'd like to get? For example, the military? Uh, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> but um, I think that's probably a little bit ambitious for us at this stage. There's a lot of corporates, nationwide corporates, that we would like to 
start working with and even if it's not doing their entire uniform, just doing a couple of products for them, that would be awesome. So does it work like that generally, that you pitch the company to to corporate workwear or are you mostly waiting for people to come to you? A bit of both. We do have an active uh, direct sales strategy, so we are going out there and talking to businesses. Nice. Well, I think... I think what you're doing is really radical. Um, and like, like you've said, you're asking consumers to, and especially these big corporate consumers, to change their mindset and to really step into something quite bold. I think that's really, really brave. Um, how far into the future do you see Little Yellow Bird going? Is this something you're committed to for life? I think I'm probably committed to the overall mission for life. <laughs> I wouldn't want to make a statement around Little Yellow Bird just yet. I think it's too early. But this is definitely what I'm going to be focused on for the next few years, for sure. And I see Little Yellow Bird becoming a big, hopefully, global supplier. That's my main aim. Wow. Well, good luck. That's a, that's a big aim. It's huge. Thank you. <laughs> and you're nearly there, right? You've got, um, you're in Australia and the UK. Uh, Australia and the US. The US. Great. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, is there anything else that you want to add or that you think is worth noting that I haven't asked or mentioned? Oh, no, I don't think so. I think we probably covered it all. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, I'm sure that the listeners on B-Sides will be, you know, have a lot to think about now, especially if they own a business or, um, or a small restaurant or whatever and need uniforms. Your website is littleyellowbird.co.nz? Great, and they can find everything there. And do follow Little Yellow Bird on Instagram because seeing those gorgeous faces just makes all the difference. Yeah, definitely. And definitely just drop us a line if there's something that you think your business could want or need because a lot of the products that we offer aren't currently up on our website. So, yeah, just flick us the email or give us a call. Oh, well, good to know. Perfect. Cool. Thank you so much, Thanks. Samantha.